Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. In the book of John, chapter 1 and verse number 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So he just stood right there, I mean right there in the first five verses of the book of John, he settles the argument of whether or not Jesus was God. He said not only is Jesus God, He was there in the beginning. That when he said, let us make man in our image, that it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he settles this thought that Jesus not only is God, but that he is the Word, and the Word is God, and the Word was God. And that there's no separating God from his Word. Amen. The moment that a denomination, or a faith, or a religion tries to separate God from the Word of God, they're tearing down the foundations of the faith. There is no foundation if we do not have the Word of God. And some would say, well, the the Word of God is pure and holy and it's perfect, but we don't have a perfect version. You've got no faith in your God. Amen. The Bible teaches us that God has preserved His Word. It's in there. It tells us that He has preserved it unto all generations, purified seven times. We know that the Word of God, the King James Bible, is the Word of God. And we have to have our faith in that or we have no foundation on which we can stand. Amen. So we're looking here as John is expounding on who the Lord is. And in verse 6 he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. What a statement. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world didn't even know Him. Can you imagine? You know, what a crazy statement, what a crazy thought to think that the very God of creation who was there, who by the way was the Word, He said, He in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know how God created the heavens and the earth? He spoke them into existence. By the power of His Word. Hebrews teaches us that He upholds all things by the Word of His power. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is the Word that God used to speak all creation into existence. And He was walking with them, talking with them, and they didn't even know who He was. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Not only did they not recognize Him, but they did not receive Him. Hmm. They rejected him. The Bible tells us he was rejected, a man of sorrows. But as many as did receive him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, look at this, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bare witness to him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Look at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came 
by Jesus Christ. I want to preach this morning on this thought of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we ask You this morning if You would. Lord, please meet with us here for a little while. God, we thank You, Lord, that You have established the Lord's day. Thank You, God, Lord, that You have taught us to set aside a time where we might come together. Lord, where we might lay aside all the cares of life. Lord, where we might lay aside all the responsibilities of Monday and Tuesday, and and we might just settle in, Lord, and focus on You. God, I pray this morning, God, if You would, have our hearts be in this place. Have our minds be in this place. Help us not to wander in our thoughts, and help us not to, to be hungry or tired or weary. God, help us for just a few minutes to focus on Your Word and focus on what You've tried to teach us, God. I pray, help me to preach this message this morning. Help us, God, to grow and learn thereby. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the church today, people are constantly wondering and asking how Christians are supposed to respond to this... It's this pervasive madness, if you will, that seems to have washed over our nation. I mean, let's be honest. The world's gone crazy. Can I say it that way? I mean, they have gone crazy. When we're funding abortions in other countries, we've gone crazy. Amen. Amen. I think I should have got a little stronger, real loud, resounding amen right there. Now, we ought not fund them in our country, but when we're going as far as to pay for them, even in other countries, we've gone crazy. I mean, we have lost all sense of God and morality in our country when the leadership is willing to not only support, but to pay for the murder of children across the world. I mean, there's no way to rationalize it. There's no way to debate it and discuss it in a place and in a way where it makes sense because it does not make sense. It's madness. Amen. It's utter madness. And the world has gone crazy and the church And it goes much further than that one issue. We know that, how that the world has begun to embrace every godless thing they hold on to with both hands, and they reject every tenet of Christianity. I mean, that's just the way that it is. To the point that it is becoming almost ridiculous. And right now, there are people trying to pass legislation to declare the King James Bible as hate speech. Because it goes against what they teach. If they have their way, they will outlaw the selling and distributing of the King James Bible. Now, I also want to point out they're fine with some of these other versions, and that should tell you right now that there's a big problem. And they want to declare it as hate speech because it takes a strong stance on some things that they declare are hate speech. They're not. But they declare that they are. And if we believe the Word of God, and we believe the King James Bible, and we believe in truth, then we find ourselves stepping back and saying, how is a Christian supposed to respond to this madness that has seemed to take over our world today? Well, first of all, let me give you a little bit of encouragement. This madness has always been around. In the day of Jesus Christ, The things that we're dealing with today, outside of maybe the prominence of the transgender movement, were things that they were dealing with right there and right then. In the Gospels, you see abortion. Kings declaring to kill all the Hebrew children, especially the males. Amen. In the Gospels, you see these things. And throughout the New Testament, in the place they were at, the Greeks, do a study on the Greeks. They were not godly. They were unholy. In fact, their, uh, let me, I'll go as far as to tell you this, their military were encouraged to have same-sex relationships with young boys under the, under the adult age in the Greek and Roman armies because it kept them from having children and having a reason to go home. So understand that these things are not new. There's nothing new under the sun. They're just louder than they've ever been because of the news media and and the day we live in where we're always connected. We're always online. And that's just the way that it is in the society in which we're living. But because of that, the church is under more scrutiny than they've ever been. 
And in a day like we just encountered in the last year in 2020, where the government and the media have put a focus on the church, we have to step back and say, what are we going to do when they come knocking on our door? Preachers are afraid to stand up and preach now because they live stream, and they're afraid somebody somewhere might hear them say something and report them to the news media and try to get some big stink going on, and that stuff is happening. Amen. That stuff is happening in your country right now. So we have to ask, how do we deal with these things? Well, there's a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions, but the fact stands very much like this. If we're going to stand with the Bible, if we're going to stand with the Bible, we cannot in any way agree with the modern movement of our country toward the deconstruction of the home, the deconstruction of the church, and the deconstruction of the individual. Amen. They started with the home, and this isn't really my message, but I'm going to get there in just a minute. But they started with the home, and they began to tear it down, began to introduce ideas about, uh, about being promiscuous outside of your marriage and free love and all those things that slowly degraded and tore down the home. And then they've gone after the church specifically, and now we have modern churches that are embracing every ungodly, wicked thing in the world like it doesn't matter, and it still matters. Amen? And they begin to try to deconstruct the church by creating false versions of the Bible and by creating false doctrines. And now they're trying to deconstruct the individual that even you yourself need to take some serious time and consider whether you are what you were born to be. They are deconstructing everything piece by piece. And we have to decide. We have to. You might think that where you live, and, and I know that here in Shepherdsville, we're, we're not in Louisville, amen, right here, but we're not far from Louisville. Where I come from, I mean, I'm surrounded by cornfields, and a lot of y'all know what that's like, amen. And in Greene County, Kentucky, my graduating class, we had 108 students. That's a pretty small class. My wife, I think y'all had smaller than that, didn't you, Williamsburg? Huh? 52. 52 students. Now, hers was a city school, may had a public school that was a little bigger. But you look at that and you say, well, those are pretty small areas, Kentucky rural. Surely we won't have to deal with a lot of the stuff. Walk into your public school. I did a little bit of substitute teaching at Greene County Public Schools, and let me tell you, in the last, well, whatever it was, two or three, four years ago when I was doing that, some of the stuff I saw, I thought, really, here. It's going on right here in Cornfield, Kentucky. You cannot escape it. You can't. And unless we're all going to become Amish, settle up ourselves somewhere, stop going to Walmart, you're going to encounter it. You can't get a haircut. You can't go to Walmart. You can't go to a restaurant. You're going to encounter the world. They're going to push it in your face. And they used to preach tolerance, but now they don't. They don't want tolerance. They don't want acceptance. They want this. Amen. They want approval. They're not, they're not okay with you putting up with it. They want you to say, I'm with you 100%. I agree with you. I support you. I'm for you. I'm for everything y'all do. And to disagree is to hate. That's their message. And the question is, how are we going to deal with this? This contemporary issue of the world going crazy. And what are we going to do? And can I tell you, I'm seeing it go both ways. I'm seeing some people over here, and they're getting up, and they're using derogatory language. They're calling them every filthy name under the book. They're pointing their, name, they're pointing their face and saying, God can't even save you if you think that way. And I mean, just drawing such a hard line over here to the right that i got to tell you, I look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and I say, that's not how He handled it. And then I'm seeing those over here who are saying, you know what, the truth is, none of that matters so long as we give them the gospel. And I can tell you that the whole Bible disagrees with that statement. And I've heard people say, well, you know what, bless God, if I'm going to miss it, I want to miss it to the right and not the left. But can I tell you, either way, missing it's missing it. And we need to look at it and say, okay, Lord, in today's day, in a day where it seems like the whole world's going crazy, how do we deal with these sort of sensitive issues. Well, aren't you glad you've got a Bible? And not only that, but aren't you glad you've got a Savior who came and walked and said, walk as I walk. 
Well, let's look and see how he dealt with it. Because to effectively reach a fallen world with a perfect Word of God, we're going to need two things if we're going to be right. We're going to need grace and we're going to need truth. You can't have grace without truth. You can't have truth without grace. You know how I know? Because the book of John chapter 1 said this, that Jesus had all, He was full of grace and truth. Verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen. Longest introduction ever. I will hurry through these next few things. Chapter 8 of the book of John, the Lord Jesus, we see Him in one of the most commonly mentioned passages in all the Gospels. Uh, the book of John, chapter 8. Uh, let me read you first, verses 1 through 3. It says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees, bless them, brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, when they had set her in the midst, it says, comma, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery and in the very act. First, I want you to see an insidious spectacle. These men, these Pharisees and these, these scribes, they have set up an insidious spectacle. Something that was done with malintent, with an intention to do something wrong and wicked. That word insidious means crafty and cruel. And here's something they've done that was both crafty and cruel. First, we see the location here. The Lord has chosen His location. Verse 2 tells us, Early in the morning He came again into the temple. The temple was a public place. Not private in the least. Open where everybody could see it. Where anybody could come. In fact, we see here that it says, All the people came unto Him. Now, I don't know exactly how many that is, but of all the ones that were around, they all came around Jesus. Amen. They came there to the Lord. The Lord comes to a very open and public place, a place that was meant to be a holy place of worship and knowledge of God's Word. Amen. He went to church. You want to know something about the Lord, and you're in Jerusalem, there's one place where you could go to probably find something out about God, and that was the temple. And that's where He went. You know, here's God in God's house. Amen. All the people come around and we see the location. Then we see the lesson as He gets there. It says, all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. The Lord begins to teach. And these people that have come to Him, you'll see here that He didn't teach, and then they came. They came, and then He taught. That tells me they wanted Him to teach. They wanted to hear what He had to say. And when Jesus showed up, they said, oh, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. I wonder what He's going to have to say today. I wonder what He's going to show us today. I wonder what He's going to teach us today. And as they all gather around Him, He sits down and He begins to teach. Isn't that what it tells us? Then we see not only the location of the lesson, but then we see the lurkers. I call them lurkers because this right here was a premeditated act. They had this planned. This did not happen on a whim. This did not happen all of a sudden. Uh, some people have gone as far as to say that they believe the scribes and Pharisees may have been involved in setting this whole thing up with the woman included, that they set her up. I don't know if that's true or not. I wouldn't put it past them. But I'll say this, they had a plan, and when they saw Jesus was there, they showed up and put everything on display. They were lurking in wait, and waiting for their opportunity to cause some trouble. Can I tell you, I hope that's never you. Amen. We ought not ever be waiting for our chance to cause some trouble. Hallelujah. Amen. The lurkers, they saw an opportunity, and they went and they got this woman, and they brought her forward. Verse number 3 there told us that this woman was taken in adultery. It goes further in verse number 4 as they lay her out there in the midst of all these people, not just Jesus and them, but all the people who had come around to hear the teachings of the Lord. There's a congregation. They're at church, and there's a congregation, and they have now brought in this woman. And the Bible tells us in verse 4, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. 
So we see an insidious spectacle. Then we see the insensitive setup that these Pharisees and scribes have now created. In verse 4, they said that she was taken in adultery in the very act. So it's a flagrant display of wickedness. Now some would say, and the truth is we can't know for sure, some say that they went and caught her in the act of adultery and dragged her out into the street, which would say that she's probably inappropriately dressed. Amen. Now that may be true that she was. It's not 100% clear. And we can say, oh, well, probably not. Okay, either way, it doesn't matter. They have drug a woman out into the middle of the congregation, and whether or not she is indecently dressed or not, they have brought her there, bound her and brought her under the clear and present accusation that they caught this woman in the act of adultery. Now, we know what adultery is. It is a wicked and sinful thing. It is carnal relationships outside of marriage. Amen. And this woman has been caught in that act. Now, first of all, there's some pretty messed up stuff going on right there. Amen. But the fact is, they brought her forward. I want you, if you could, just imagine a modern equivalent of this scene. Imagine that we're here this morning, we've come in for church, and we have started having church, and we're going to the Word of God, and maybe uh, maybe the preacher's preaching, or someone's teaching Sunday school, and suddenly the back doors just get thrown open And coming walking in here are a couple prominent members, if you will, a couple of spiritual leaders as they're supposed to be. We'll call them religious leaders. That's probably a more accurate term. And they come walking in, and they toss down on the floor in front of the whole church someone that they found committing an open and wicked sin. And not only that, but they begin to describe what exactly they caught them doing. Now... The truth is, we all know places where there are wicked things going on. Don't we? If we had to, we could go find someone using drugs or someone uh, drunk on alcohol or maybe even committing sexual acts or whatever it may be. At certain times and certain places, we all know this going on there and that going on here. And if some of the prominent members of the church wanted to, they could lurk and grab somebody in the act of sin bind them up, drag them out to the church, throw them out in the middle of the congregation and say, we caught them doing this sin. That's a spectacle, isn't it? How would you like to be that lady who'd committed a sin, who has now been dragged out before all the congregation, not just in town, not in some room somewhere, not before a judge, in the middle of the church? One minute Jesus is expounding on the Word of God, and the next minute there is a woman laying in front of them being accused of committing adultery before all the people. It is a flagrant display of sin and wickedness. What a spectacle that these men have created. Then I want you to see their false piety. Their piety meaning their holiness, how holy and how righteous they were. That they would go and capture this woman and bring her in here to accuse her of her sin. The first thing we see is their false honor. They said this in verse 4. Look at it. They say unto him, Master, that was a lie. He was not their master. They did not care about him. They did not hold him in high regard. It was a false honor. Sir, reverend, master. It was a, a title of honor that they used to hopefully in their mind puff him up and to gain the ear of all the people standing around who held the Lord Jesus in such high regard that they had come from all around the temple just to sit and listen to Him teach. Master. They didn't think He was a teacher. They didn't think He was a master. They didn't think He was a Lord. They hated Him. And that was a lie. And it shows right up front that they're fake. Amen. Their false honor. Then we see their false outrage. This woman was taken in adultery. In the very act... How dramatic. How dramatic are they? Look at this woman. Can you believe what she's been doing? We caught her in the very act. Okay, calm down a little bit, first of all. This could have been handled in a different... Can we, can we all agree this could have been handled differently? 
Could, um, even if they wanted to talk to the Lord Jesus, could they handle this differently? Absolutely. They didn't. Because it was all just a show. It was all just a fake piety. They wanted to, to put this woman down to make themselves seem more holy. They wanted to drag her out in her sin to make themselves seem more high and mighty and, and, and pious and, and righteous. So we see their flagrant display. You know what the Lord said about them in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 27? He said this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You know what he said? You're hypocrites and liars. You look nice on the outside, but inside you're so full of sin, you're dead. That's what he said. You're full of dead men's bones. Well, that's that pretty blunt. They like to be blunt, so he gave them a little taste of their own medicine at one point. Amen. We see their false pity. Then we see their fallacy declared. He said this. Look at verse number 5. Verse number 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Now it sounds at first glance, and if you just walked up on the scene and and didn't have any idea what was going on, just heard what these people were saying, you might think that they were righteous. You might think that they were holy. You might even look on them and think that they were good, religious, and godly men. But in this phrase, they declared the fallacy of what they were trying to do. If they had really been concerned, and let me just, let me just level with you here. If they had really cared about the law, the law of Moses commanded that such should be stoned. We talked just a couple weeks ago about the passage there where the man had been out gathering sticks on the Sabbath and God said, stone him to death. The law of Moses did declare that such should be stoned. If they cared about the law, none of this would have happened. They would have brought this woman to wherever they did their judgments and they would have stoned her. Wow, that's harsh. I'm just telling you how the law was. It was harsh. If they cared about the law, and they were as righteous as they claimed to be, none of this would have happened. It would have been an account of a woman being caught in a great sin and being stoned for it. But that's not what they did. Instead, they brought her out here, made a big spectacle out of her, and said, the law of Moses commands that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? To Jesus. This is not a broad, general question. Here's what you've got. Wicked, ungodly men who have tried to lay a trap to catch the Lord. Because they think He's going to show her mercy. And when He does, they're going to call Him on what thus saith the law, and then they're going to turn it all on Him. That's their intention. Their intention or to catch him in, in his truth, in the truth, and catch him in what he's doing as the Son of God, if you will, amen, and accuse him. Amen. That's what the Bible says. Well, are, are no, that's what the Bible says literally. It says in verse number six that they said this, tempting him that they might accuse him. That's their whole goal is to accuse him. They want to try and bring a fake accusation against this man. They brought this woman forward to try and make this thing. They were only interested in debate that they might accuse him. They were not interested in this woman. They do not care about this woman. They do not care about her soul. They do not care about her life. They only care about using her to get what they want. Amen. They are wicked, ungodly men, full of dead men's bones, hypocrisy, and iniquity. Amen. So then I want to show you the Lord's irregular stooping. That's a weird word. Well, that's the Bible word. Look at it there in verse number 6. But Jesus stooped down and with His finger wrote on the ground as though He heard them not. Amen. Way to go, Lord. I mean, He is really showing them just how important they are. Isn't He? He said, as if, as though He heard them not. 
we can see his apparent disregard in verse 6. These men have come forward. They've interrupted him teaching the Word. Listen to me. They've interrupted God teaching the Word of God. Did y'all hear what I said? They interrupted God teaching the Word of God. He could have snapped them out of existence. He could have batted his eyes and they would have exploded if he wanted to. He could have erased all creation and intention and just any memory of them ever being ever existing if he wanted to. He could have called down 10,000 angels. Wouldn't that have been a spectacle? If he'd have called down 10,000 angels. They interrupted the God of heaven teaching people who wanted to hear the Word of God to lift themselves up and try and catch Him in some sort of thing. You know what He does? He stops. He stoops down. He starts writing on the ground. I don't know about you, but if I walked somebody, walked somebody and asked them a question, and they looked at me, and then got down and just started writing on the ground and ignoring me, I'd take that offensive. Wouldn't you? That would bother me. I think, oh, really? That's what he does. He seems, his apparent disregard, he seems to completely disregard them. He does not answer them. And in fact, he doesn't even acknowledge them. He don't say a word. He don't nod. He just gets down and starts drawing on the ground. And then we see his annoyed declaration. Because in verse 7, i got to imagine that he got annoyed with them. So when they continued asking him, they continued asking him, Well, what sayest thou? What sayest thou? Jesus, what sayest thou? Are you going to answer us? What sayest thou? They continued asking, continued asking, finally, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast, let him first cast a stone at her. So we see his annoyed declaration. Finally, he stands up and he gives them a simple, straightforward, and harsh answer. And then look what he does in verse 8. After he'd said this, he st- again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He got up, he said 15 words, and he knelt back down and went to drawing again. This is not what they wanted. This is not the reaction that they expected. This is not what they, they wanted to get a rise out of him. And can I tell you, that's what the world wants out of you too? They want you to go on social media and blast everything that you disagree with. Did you know that? They want you to. Amen. That's why they're campaigning every day to get people fired from their jobs for things they tweeted and posted on Facebook 10 years ago. They want you to do it. They want you to open your mouth. They want you to make a scene and get mad and fight back because that's when they'll get you. That's what they want. And that's what they wanted from Jesus. They didn't get that. Instead, he stands up, he says something to them to leave them sitting there with their mouths hanging open and thinking. We see the Lord's intent, we see the Lord's act of dismissal when he kneels down again. You know, there's a lot of debate as to what he wrote down there. A lot of people think, uh, uh, from what I can find and study, most scholars agree that uh, they think he was writing the Ten Commandments. I don't know what he was writing, and neither does anybody else, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I can tell you this, regardless of whether he wrote anything down or just drew circles, the outcome is the same. And God gave us what we need to know. Because what was important wasn't what he was writing down, is what he said. Amen? So we see the Lord's intentional statements. And let me give you this and we'll be done. Verse 7, they continued to ask him. He lifted up himself. He said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. We're talking about his intentional statements. There is a crowd of people around him looking at him. He was teaching them. They were talking about God's Word, a peaceful day at the Lord's house with the Lord. And then these men show up, and they're going to cause a problem, they're going to cause a stir. And the Lord looks around at all of them, 
And he says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. His first statement was one of conviction. It was one of conviction. And what a simple statement it was. They come out to try and catch him, and what they want to do is they want to get him in debate. They want him to start debating and try to catch him in his words, but you can't, you can't catch the word in his words. I mean, that's just dumb, to be honest. They were not smart. They thought they, they, thought they were smart. Let me tell you, when you think you're smart, that's the first step to not being smart. Amen. And that's where they were. They're trying to catch him in his words, and he's like, I spoke you into existence. What a God to not in wrath strike them down. Because you know that Jesus and that God, He doesn't look on the countenance, but looks on the heart. So the Lord's looking at them and He knows exactly what they're thinking and exactly what's in their heart and exactly what's in their minds. He don't, he don't lash out. He don't call them names. And make fun of them right there in front of everybody. What He does is He says, He that's without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. It was a convicting statement that caught them in their own trap. The conviction in this statement is clear. Be careful pointing fingers at the sins of others when you yourself are so laden with sins. Be careful pointing your finger. But brother Paul, their sin is so much worse than my sin. It may seem that way to you. But to the Lord... The sin of adultery in this statement was no worse than their sin of hypocrisy. It was no worse than their sin of pride and anger, variance, hatred. And so that's why he stood up and with one statement, he put Holy Ghost conviction on every person there. So we did. Look at that next verse. And again, he stooped down on the ground and they which heard it and I want to point out here, it's not just the Pharisees and the scribes that are here. It's a whole congregation of people. The Lord used this moment not just to teach them sorry, and he, they didn't learn anything. I'll just tell you. They were unable, incapable of learning things, almost all of them, with a couple exceptions, incapable of learning anything. But all those people standing around, walked away with something on their mind, says this, they which heard it being convicted in their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, and even to the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. His first statement was one of conviction. His following statement was one of consideration. Look there in verse number 10. They're all gone. There is no one here now except Jesus and the woman who was taken in adultery. Class is over. Church is over. It's Jesus and this sinner woman. When Jesus had lifted up Himself and saw none but the woman, He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Everybody else had left, but she didn't. She stayed. She could have snuck off. To be honest, if I was her, that's probably what I would have done. I wouldn't have wanted to be there anymore. Would you? After being dragged out in front of all your peers and people that you know, people you've probably seen here and, and know in this town, I mean, just drug out in front of all the, the important people of the city of the Jews, and I'd, I'd want to go crawl in a hole somewhere. I'd be embarrassed and humiliated. But she stayed there because Jesus was there. Something about this man and something about what he had said, did he take up for her? Has the Lord taken up for her? No. All he did is say, he that is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. That doesn't say a thing about what she did. Not a thing. But for some reason, she is inclined to stay. When the Lord looks around, he sees her there. He says, woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? The Lord asked her a question of thought. He said, look around you. Where, where are all your accusers? Has anybody condemned you? 
There's a difference in accusing someone and condemning someone. Accusing someone and saying, you've done this and you've done that, condemning them, that's passing judgment. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is, verse 30, we know him that hath said, vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. She is standing or sitting right by the judge of all creation. And she stuck around. And he said, Has any man condemned you? Hath no man condemned thee? It is a statement of consideration. He wanted her to think about what she had done and think about what was going on. You brought out here, you committed adultery, you were caught in the act, and here you were, you were, you were brought before all these people and humiliated, but has anyone condemned you? And she answers him, No man. Lord, his final statement was one of compassion. As Christ dealt with the Pharisees, so does he deal here with a sinner with one simple statement. He does not expound and go into the great depths of explaining the law because there's no need. Here's what he says. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. In John chapter 8 and verse 11, the Lord Jesus Christ shows all of us how to have grace and truth. First, we see the grace in His statement. His final statement was one of compassion. We see the grace in His statement. Here's what He says. Neither do I condemn thee. Could He? Let me ask you another question. If the Lord, in that moment, had judged her in her sin of adultery and condemned her to death, would He have been right? If I got what I deserved, then I would answer for all my sins. How many times have we testified and stood, if I got what I deserved, bless God, I'd be in hell with my back broke. You all heard it said, I'd be in hell today if it wasn't for the Lord. I, I wouldn't have a family. I wouldn't have this, and, and I wouldn't have this, and I wouldn't have, if I got what I deserved, if I, if I got what I really had earned, if he looked at that woman and said, you committed adultery, and the law hath said, thou shalt not commit adultery, here you go, it's coming. Here's your judgment, and it's death. He would have been just. And he would have been right. And he would have been perfectly fine as God, as a sinless and holy righteous judge in that moment to have passed judgment on her. But instead, he had grace. When you came to God as a sinner and you bowed down on... Have you been saved this morning? Look at me, everybody looking at me. Have you been saved? When you came down and bowed before God and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I've sinned, will you please forgive me? A holy and righteous and just God could say, no. But instead, He giveth more grace. The first thing He says to this woman is a statement of grace. Neither do I condemn thee. I could. I'd be right in doing so. If you've done this sin, it would be right for me to say you deserve death. But I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to give you grace. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says this, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God, he, he could have judged her right there. In that moment, He could have punished her, but He didn't. Because instead, He decided to show her grace because He was full of grace. But he, here's where the world gets it wrong. He's not just full of grace. And He's not just full of truth. He's full of grace and truth. He gives her grace... We see the grace in his statement. Then we see the truth in his statement. And he says this, Go 
and sin no more. You know what he said? You sinned. Did she sin? You sinned. You were wrong. What you did is not okay. It is not okay to commit adultery. It is not okay to commit fornication. It is not okay to embrace the lifestyle of homosexuality or transgenderism. It is not okay to do these things that the world is trying to tell us, yes it is, on the basis of because we say so. It's not okay. But, that's not the first thing the Lord told her. The first thing He told her was, neither do I condemn thee. And He's the only one on earth with the right to do so. Not a single one of those Pharisees had the right to condemn this woman because they had sin. But He did because He was God and had no sin. He's the only one who could condemn her from a place of righteousness and judgment because God will judge His people. But instead, the first thing He gave her was grace. And then He gave her truth. It goes in that order. Do you see it? Do you see the order that Jesus dealt with a woman who was not accused of adultery? who was taken in the act of adultery. Maybe she was undressed. Maybe she wasn't. Regardless, didn't matter. She had sinned. She had been in a lifestyle of sin. And now Jesus is looking at her. And He offers her grace. And then He offers her truth. I'm not going to condemn you because I love you. But you need to go and sin no more. Do y'all see the grace? Do y'all see the truth? The convoluted and broken desire of the world is to have and do whatever they want without consequence. In fact, there is religion now that says you can. Because we have grace. They say we live in an era of grace. That we are no longer under the law, but under grace. And therefore... We are under no obligation from the Word of God to live holy because we are unholy. We sin. There's no reason for us to do right. There's no reason for us to worry about whether or not we're messing this up or messing that up because God has forgiven and forgotten all our sins and God doesn't care if we're holy. Then why did Jesus say, go and sin no more? Because He does care if we're holy. That's why He said, be holy for I am holy. That's why, that's why Paul said, because I'm under grace and no longer under the law, should I therefore sin? Should I just embrace sin? And he said, God forbid that I should trample underfoot the grace of God. Amen. So how do we deal with a world? The fact is this, under the law, there's little room for grace. That's those who would stand up and say, you know what, bless God, we ought to just kill them all. Y'all heard those statements. Have you heard those statements? I mean, I dare say some of us, myself included, have been guilty of saying things along those same lines. That those that disagree with, we'd be better off, we just, bless God, just write them all off and kick them off. That's not how Jesus looked at a sinner. The way He looked at a sinner is this. I'm going to give you grace, and then I'm going to give you the truth. I'll show you that, that I love you, that Jesus loves you. And then I'm going to give you the truth. And that woman, she could reject the truth. She'd get up, walk away, go back to her sin. And eventually God would bring that judgment down on her. Just like God will eventually bring judgment down on every soul on this earth. One day we will stand before God. And we will either have the blood of Christ or we will not have the blood of Christ. But that's truth. That's also grace. It's all grace, it's all truth, it's all together, and you can't have one without the other. That's why our Bible told us in John 1, 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For, verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, 
but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In the day of the law, this woman, all she gets is truth. And that truth condemns her. And that truth judges her. And that truth destroys her. But through Jesus Christ, she gets both grace and truth. So how is a Christian to deal with a complicated and sinful world such as this? Not with just grace and not with just truth. With both. Paul said, I've become all things unto all men that by all means I might win some. We are going to have to show love to people that we've been taught not to love. And that's just what it is. We've been told that they're the enemy, but the Bible tells us that we war not against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We're warring against their wicked ideology, not the people. We don't need to line them up and have a firing squad. We don't need to get them out and do that. Amen. We got to have grace and truth because that is what Jesus is. He is not just grace. He's not just truth. He's grace and truth. And this woman's life was forever changed because of grace and truth, just like yours was. You say, well, what they're doing is worse, and what they're doing is this, and what they do is that, and it's so bad, and it's just, man, it's just ungodly. Amen. And so were some of you. That's what Paul said. Ye were sometimes darkness. That's what he said. Ye were sometimes darkness. If God can take a man like Saul, a Christian killer, and turn him into the greatest missionary who ever lived, oh, that's, that's some grace and truth right there. Amen? Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. And we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.